0: This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, June 19th, 2023, Juneteenth. I'm Kyle Kellams. This is 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Later this hour, the first of two reports about the continuing conversation in Arkansas about restricting access to certain books in libraries. Josie Lenora, with our partner Station KUAR... As that report beginning in about 12 minutes on today's show. First, the Kids Count Data Book from the Annie E. Casey Foundation was released last week. The annual report measures the health and well-being of children across the United States among 16 indicators that cover economics, education, health, and family and community categories. This year, Arkansas ranked 43rd in the nation for overall child well-being. President of the Annie E. Casey Foundation, Lisa Hamilton, recently spoke with Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth about what this year's data book reveals.
1: All right. So, Lisa, can you just sort of walk me through this year's Kids Count data book? You know, what were the significant statistics or patterns that kind of emerged? um, And were there any that were particularly alarming to you?
2: In this year's data book, book, we uh, rely on data from 2021, which is the most recent year data available. And that means we now have a partial picture of how the pandemic affected kids and families. So half of the indicators, eight, worsened compared to last year's data book. Four stayed the same and four improved. If you think back to 2021 and what was going on, so many people lost jobs. Our children were learning virtually. So the data bears this out. Um, Fewer parents um, during this time were financially stable and educational achievement was hit hard during the pandemic. Even so, um, child poverty remained unchanged. Um, We think that's largely due to the expansion of the child tax credit, which helped to um, provide financial resources for, for families, and more children had health insurance. And so we think those two things point to the fact that good policy decisions can help kids and families get through tough times. And so that's why we provide this data, so that we can have more policy decisions that help kids and families thrive. In this book, we also highlight the issue of child care and talk about um, some of the reasons for um, the broken child care system we have in this country and some of the uh, recommendations we have to try to strengthen it.
1: Yeah, and I'd love to dig into that uh, that childcare aspect. I know that was a big concern. Can you sort of talk about um, the lack, that trend of fewer childcare options, and how that has affected you know women and our economy overall in the U.S.
2: Sure. Well, there are 23 million children in this country under the age of five, and about uh, 12 million of them um, are in child care at some point in their lives. And we know that a good child care system is important for a lot of reasons. It's really important to young children because it gives them the positive experiences. Um, an educational foundation they need to develop. It helps parents because it enables them to go to work and support their families. And it's important to our economy so that we can have the workers that we need um, so that the economy can grow to its full potential. But as I noted, um, we have a broken childcare system in this country and there are a number of issues um, that work in concert to create that problem. Um, there aren't enough child care workers, um, and so we don't have the capacity we need, all of the slots we need for children. A lot of the child care isn't accessible, uh, particularly on public transportation where families can get to it, or for rural families. It's often miles away from their home, and many of us have heard conversations about how expensive child care is the average national cost of child care in 2021 was about $10,600. That's a huge expense for any household budget, particularly when we know costs are rising for things like rent and food and gas. So all these challenges put um, a significant strain on any family, but as you noted, um, has a particular impact on certain families. It it definitely um, hurts women and makes it challenging for them to um, enter and stay in the workplace. It um, is a big burden on single parents, on parents in poverty, families of color and immigrant families. So um, we wanted to make sure that uh, we sounded the alarm on this issue and identify recommendations of what we can do to improve the situation.
1: Yeah, and here in Arkansas is where I'm based, um, and I think one of our lowest rankings was among family and community. About 38% of kids live in a single-parent home. Uh, Can you sort of break down what that category is and why it's important, that family and community?
2: The the family and community... um domain really helps us understand the context that children are growing up in what kind of families are they growing up in um, what kind of communities neighborhoods are they growing up in so we measure things like the number of children living in high poverty areas because that means they won't have all the resources that they need safe places to play or great schools um, uh, affordable housing quality housing that can help them thrive and even issues like uh, the teen birth rate, which is really at historic uh, lows and continues to get better both nationally and there in Arkansas. Uh, so um, the the question you asked around single parent families it helps us understand what the financial resources might look like in a household. And when you connect that to the issue we were talking about around childcare. In Arkansas, the average um, cost for center-based care for one toddler is around $6,800, and for a single parent, that's a quarter of um, the median income um, for someone in that state. So um, we want to understand where are kids growing up and then what the impact might be on um, their lives and the opportunities that surround them. Yeah. And
1: in looking at this data book, you know, what are the big areas that need to be addressed when it comes to policy? What are some immediate changes that that you see that can help improve some of these these areas where we're struggling?
2: Well, on the um, national level, we certainly want to make sure that uh, children have health insurance and parents have health insurance because that Is such a key ingredient to their success. Um, We talked last year a lot about mental health and making sure that children have access to health insurance is going to help them uh, thrive physically and um, emotionally and uh, ensure that they are successful in school. We also want to make sure that parents have access to good jobs because if their household is financially stable, that means they're going to have good, healthy food on the table. They're going to have a safe, uh, quality place to live, and they're going to have access to to opportunities that are going to help them uh, develop well. And then as it relates to this issue of child care, we know that there are a number of things that policymakers can do to to strengthen our child care system. Like, use um, pandemic recovery funds that remain to create more capacity in our child care system. Congress can reauthorize and strengthen the Child Care Development Block Grant Act, which provides funding for public pre K programs and Head Start. And we can make sure that families get access to the supports and subsidies that help them pay for child care. Only one out of six families that qualify for this aid have access to it, and so agencies can do more to make sure families know about and access uh, those resources. And then finally, we know we need more um, childcare providers, and so making sure there's access to capital so uh, more entrepreneurs can open home-based childcare centers The good news is that there's a lot we can do to improve uh, outcomes for kids and families. And so much of that is dependent on the policy choices that we make.
1: Yeah. And finally, I just wanted to ask, you know, uh, with a lot of the legislation that's coming out in states right now, if the data book takes into account any markers for like LGBTQ youth, whether that's in terms of physical or mental, emotional health, or, or do you guys take that into account?
2: where you can access millions of data points about children and families, including those related to LGBTQ youth, at our website, um, www.aecf.org. They can access the data book, uh, profile of your state, and lots of data on kids, families, and communities, and lots of resources and solutions as well.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. I appreciate it. Thank you. That was Lisa Hamilton, president and CEO
0: of the Annie E. Casey Foundation, speaking about the 2023 Kids Count Data Book with Ozarks at Large's Daniel Caruth. Daniel's interviews are recorded inside the Karen Taha News Studio. Still to come on today's Ozarks at Large, we continue to use archives from the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History to examine a years-long criminal case.
3: She was seventeen when it happened, and now, twelve years after the attack, Stevens is speaking out about Dumont's parole. Stevens first came forward when she learned the governor was considering clemency for Wayne Dumont. Today, speaking with Channel 7 News, Ashley Stevens says she is shocked that the post-prison transfer board granted Dumont parole.
0: This week's Prior Center Archive
1: shared in about 10 minutes. For five decades, KUAF has served our region, guided by core journalistic principles of integrity, determination, and fearless hard work. Our principles don't falter when times are tough or when challenges are great. Rather, they're a source of strength and transparency. You hear this resound on programs like Ozarks at Large, Morning Edition, and All Things Considered, as vital perspectives are added to the day's issues and events. KUAF delivers what you need Every single day. So with the start of our new budget year just a few short weeks away, we hope to raise an extra $50,000 to ensure our newsroom has all of the resources it needs to report to you on all of the events ahead. You can make that happen when you give before June 30th. That's now at supportkuaf.com. And thanks. And each day you can hear the difference.
0: When you listen to KUAF in-depth, unbiased news, thoughtful and civil conversation, stories told in a way that only KUAF and public radio can tell them, it truly matters. If you're a regular listener to KUAF and you've never given to your public radio station, please become a sustaining member today. You can discover why you matter. Your support makes sure we can cover the issues, chase down the facts, keep you up to date on what's happening both locally and globally. You can become a sustaining member of KUAF right now at supportkuaf.com. And when you become a sustaining member, it's great for KUAF, and it's really easy for you. As a sustaining member, you make ongoing monthly contributions. That means your membership is always current. Your support comes automatically from your checking account or your credit card each month. And you can change that membership anytime you like at supportkuaf.com. When you are a KUAF sustaining member, Radio becomes even more enjoyable every day knowing that you are part of the community that makes it possible. Our biggest share of financial support by far comes from listeners just like you, people who use and depend upon KUAF and public radio. You can make a big impact today in the amount that you choose. You can become a sustaining member right now at supportkuaf.com and thank you. This is a Monday edition of Ozarks at Large. There are efforts nationwide, including in Arkansas, to remove or relocate some books found in public libraries. Josie Lenora, with our partner station KUAR, has this report on how that debate is taking shape in one West Arkansas county.
4: Last year, a display of LGBTQ-themed books appeared at the Van Buren Library in Crawford County. Not long after, a group called the River Valley City Elders called on members to join together and speak against the display at a quorum court meeting. Their newsletter called them, quote, radical sexual ideological picture books, saying they could permanently sexualize children. The night of the meeting, Dr. Jeff Hamby, a member of the group, spoke out against books acknowledging the existence of LGBTQ people, including titles like Bye Bye Binary and Uncle Bobby's Wedding.
5: teaching a child that they may be queer or homosexual or a drag queen the best use of our limited tax resources. And not just to have these LGBTQ children's books in our county-funded library, but to proudly display them during Queer History Month. Every child that enters and sees that display must think that this behavior
6: is approved and accepted by society.
4: Previously in November, Hamby's wife Tammy had written to the quorum court, saying parents need rights and consent over books in the library. She said the books equated LGBTQ lifestyles with heterosexual ones. Now, Tammy Hamby leads the board of the Crawford County Library System. Then library director Deirdre Grismala presented a compromise at a January meeting, Hamby's first as chair. Grismala created an age-restricted social section in the library with about 240 books with topics ranging from sex ed and transgender kids to death, divorce, and world religions.
3: They are a separated collection in the catalog they were moved to the adult section, and there, um, And if there are any books that we missed, um, just alert the staff and we can get it switched over.
4: Grismala said in purchasing books for the library, she looks at metrics like the Library of Congress, the New York Times, and lists of award winners. Board member Kaylin Shaper said these metrics weren't enough and that Crawford County should have more control over collection development.
7: But at the end of the day, all of these people that are saying, hey, this is a good book, that's not Crawford County.
4: In response, a group of advocates began speaking out against the new policies in library board meetings. Sarah Ramirez makes TikTok videos poking fun at Tammy Hamby and other board members, some of which have millions of views. All right, this is part two of the look at Tammy Hamby's YouTube channel. The
2: Bible says the steps of a righteous man are ordered of God. It was my steps and Jeff steps being ordered of God.
4: At a meeting that's at a bakery with other friends who opposed the book relocation policies, she described the exasperation she felt when using the separate social section.
3: You're putting you're a target on your back. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I get or looks. even if you're just yeah. standing in front of that shelf, people are gonna know, oh, that's a liberal.
4: At the two Crawford County Library branches, a child must be 11 to be in the library without an adult and 18 to get their own library card. Under a new Arkansas law, parents will also be able to see their children's checkout history. Before the library board meeting in February, library director Deirdre Grismala resigned with an over $40,000 severance package to be replaced by former library director Eva White on a temporary basis. In March, Rebecca Verdon challenged a book called My Family, Your Family in an attempt to get it put back in the general children's collection.
3: It goes through all types of family a person could encounter, be they traditional, same-sex, mixed race, single families, large families, small families, and the thing that makes
0: them all families is love.
4: One page of the book has the words his family and her family with pictures of a child standing next to two women or two men. The book was successfully relocated, but board member Kaylin Shaper explained his reasons for voting to keep it in a separate section. It's defining family for young children as potentially
8: homosexual
4: families. (laughs) Yes,
9: they exist. That's why we're
4: here. They
8: exist.
4: Verdon is a plaintiff in an upcoming lawsuit challenging the book relocation policies at the Crawford County Library. The lawsuit is being headed up by attorney Brian Metters. Who successfully sued the nearby Cedarville School District, which had removed Harry Potter books from their shelves. In court, matters, says he plans to argue removing the books violates children's First Amendment right to receive information.
5: It is not the librarian's job to filter particular kinds of information for children. It's the librarian's job to make available to the children a wide range of literature, as long as it is age-appropriate,
4: Lawsuit plaintiff Samantha Rowlett successfully used one of her challenges to get a book called Llama Glamorama put back with the other children's books. And as time goes on, he has a big secret, right? His secret is that he likes to dance. Well, he keeps it a secret because he's afraid of what others might think. Board member Amanda Stevens explained why she voted against relocating the book, saying it was about, quote, social justice.
3: As an adult reading that book, I know what that book is trying to push. I know what that book is trying to, what the point is trying to get across. And you're right, you have the freedom to let your child read that book if you want to.
4: One of the books relocated and named in the lawsuit is a children's picture book called Uncle Bobby's Wedding. The book is about a niece who attends the wedding of her two gay uncles. Attorney for the plaintiff, Brian Metters, said the book is age-appropriate and wouldn't be contentious if it featured a heterosexual wedding.
5: Where where the conflation of age-appropriate and and like harmful to children comes in is where people just assume, well, I disagree with, you know, these two particular people being in love, and so I, I want to I'm going to stop the child from getting that, and that's a content restriction.
4: Challenges at the library continued through May of this year with plaintiff Rebecca Verdon speaking out on a book called Like Me, about a child with a physical disability. She argued it shouldn't be kept out of the children's section but was cut off by board member Tammy Hamby motioning to adjourn. Because we should not want our kids to know about other kids that have disabilities. That's shameful. That's shameful.
2: That's who we are as a community. That is shameful. That's it. Do I have a motion to adjourn?
4: Before stepping down due to a conflict of interest, Crawford County had been represented by Gentry Walmeyer, who declined an interview request. In an email to Matters, Walmeyer said the legislative branch will have to look at the quote balancing test between protecting children and freedom of speech. In Little Rock, I'm Josie Lenora.
0: And tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, Josie Lenora concludes her series. Pulaski and Saline counties in central Arkansas are currently bracing for the impacts of a new state law regulating books. Found in their libraries. That's on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 on 91.3 KOF. You can listen whenever you want by subscribing to the absolutely free Ozarks at Large podcast.
5: Can we please put this behind us? I will never admit guilt for something I didn't do, but I will say that I'm sorry all this has happened.
0: This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kelms. With me, Randy Dixon from the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Hello, Kyle. Hello, Randy. We just heard. Right. Wayne Dubond. Right. This is a continuation um, th- of last week. This is
7: part two. Um, there was so much material of this in the archives and such a strange story to tell, we, we had to cut it into two parts.
0: And I will do what I did again this week, what I did last week, and tell people that some of the content we're talking about includes sexual violence yes. and extreme violence. So just be yes
7: be prepared yeah
0: um but that
7: that was Wayne Dumont in 1997 um he's a convicted rapist kidnapper right and this is more Uh, than
0: 10 years after his conviction yes he's
7: been in jail or in prison uh for 12 years and um well it was a major news story uh at the time and um I guess we need to catch up from um, where we left off right. last week. Well, in case you did miss it, um, Karen Fuller from KETV Out of the Archives sort of gives us a, a recap of the case. And fix his sentence in a term of... Life in the Arkansas Department of Corrections.
3: Nearly one year after then 17-year-old Ashley Stevens, a distant cousin of President Clinton, reports being kidnapped and raped, Wayne Dumond is sent to prison for life. But his journey did not begin with his sentence. In March of that year, while out on bond, two masked men entered Dumond's home. According to Dumond, the men raped and castrated him. Two months later, his home burns in a suspected arson no one is ever arrested. In 1990, Parole Board votes unanimously recommending Dumont's release. Then Governor Clinton refuses.
0: If I were to grant this, would the other 120 rape uh, uh, defendants
5: be justified in coming forward, every one of them that has served more than four years and 10 months?
3: 18 months later, while Clinton is out of state, Lieutenant Governor Jim Guy Tucker commutes Dumont's sentence to 39 years, leaving him eligible for parole in 1994. Dumond would get another break in 1996. Governor Mike Huckabee announces he may grant clemency to Dumond.
5: I think there's extreme doubt that he was the person who actually did this. I think that's been brought out in so many investigations. But also, I think the horrible things which were done to him after uh, his arrest, just the most brutal, savage kind of things, are such that this man has truly experienced an injustice, as few have. Dumon claims that he's had this uh,
7: religious, religious turnaround mm-hmm. in, in prison, and he, he has several um, religious groups uh, behind him, um, And so he's up for parole and Governor Huckabee supports it, strongly supports it, Um, has written a letter to DuMond. And later, some of the board members say that they were pressured uh, by Huckabee um, to vote for his release. So, um, well, here's here's a report. About that,
3: the Arkansas Post Prison Transfer Board has voted 4 to 1 to release Wayne Dumont from prison on parole. In 1985, Dumont was found guilty of kidnapping and raping a 17-year-old Forest City girl. This was Dumont's fourth request for parole, and as Norris DeJean tells us, this decision has the governor's stamp of approval.
8: Members of the right, parole right. board say their decision to release Wayne DuMond was influenced.
6: A lot of things said in the press. Board members have uh, received calls. Some board members have even changed their positions and the way that they're voting, which uh, everybody has that prerogative.
8: In all, four members changed their minds about DuMond in just five months. They said a big factor is that DuMond is not only planning to move to Houston, but he already has a job waiting for him there. They also cited the length of time he's been incarcerated, almost 12 years, and his prison record of good behavior. Dumont was convicted in 1985 of kidnapping and raping 17-year-old Ashley Stevens in Forest City, a crime he's never admitted to. Stevens is a member of a powerful family and Dumont believes that fact has worked against him. Before his trial, Dumont says masked men broke into his home and castrated him. With parole, Dumont still has to check in with a parole officer and abide by a number of conditions. Had Dumond been given executive clemency, he would be released with no requirements. That's what Governor Huckabee was proposing back in September when he said Dumont had suffered enough and could have been falsely accused. But after reviewing the case, the governor changed his mind. A letter he sent to Wayne Dumont after the vote says, my desire is that you be released from prison. I feel now that parole is the best way for your reintegration into society to take place. Therefore, after careful consideration of the information provided, I have denied your application. A few weeks ago, Dumont said he knew his clemency would be denied. That's what he wrote in a letter to Channel 7. So was today's vote part of an arrangement with the governor's office? I don't have any other comments, now. Other board members are independent, they might want to make comments. Mr. Verona,
10: do you have any comments since you were involved in the last hearing?
6: No, I don't have
7: any comments.
8: And no comment on that yet from the governor's office. Now, Wayne Dumont could walk out of prison in anywhere from one to ten weeks. That's assuming officials in Texas will accept him. And after that, he will have to check in with a parole officer and meet certain requirements, for instance, abstaining from alcohol and getting mental counseling. And, Karen, he'll remain on parole until the year 2004.
0: All right. As you might imagine, um, not everybody is in favor of a convicted rapist being released on parole. A lot of people. And I'll just add this. No one is saying that everyone who's convicted is guilty or had a fair trial. That's correct. So that's always out there. But there are people who are adamantly opposed to Wayne Dumont being well, released on parole,
7: especially the prosecutor, right in the case, and particularly his victim.
3: The woman who Dumond spent time in jail for raping is Ashley Stevens. She was 17 when it happened, and now, 12 years after the attack, Stevens is speaking out about Dumond's parole. Stevens first came forward when she learned the governor was considering clemency for Wayne Dumond. Today, speaking with Channel 7 News, Ashley Stevens says she is shocked that the post-prison transfer board granted Dumond parole. She says now she is angry and scared. Though DuMond will be under certain restrictions as part of his parole, Ashley Stevens still fears for her life. She also adds, however, that, quote, at least parole is better than a pardon.
7: But he was released. Yes, he was. Um, In October of 1999, it was quiet. It wasn't anything that was announced. He was just quietly released. And he did not go to Houston for some reason. I'm not sure why, but he ended up going to Missouri.
0: Now, I will also point out that at this time in northwest Arkansas, there was a talk radio program on an AM station. And the host of that uh, talk radio show was someone who was also um, convinced that Wayne Dumont had been framed and urged, you know, sort of kept the momentum going for people oh. to keep the pressure going to have him released on parole.
7: OK, so he, so, he had some media support, too.
0: He did. And you know if, so this this wasn't going away. This was sort of a topic of conversation for a few years. Oh, publicly. absolutely.
7: Yeah. Yes. Yes. So he moves to Smithville, Missouri, and you don't hear about anything for a while. Obviously, you wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of gone into anonymity. Mm-hmm. Um, but less than two years uh, after he was re- released, he was arrested and convicted of not only a rape but a murder Mm. of a young lady by the name of Carol Sue Shields. And so—
0: And remember, one of his victims in Arkansas had said that he threatened, you know, if you tell anyone, I will come back and kill you.
7: Yes, and she said she was convinced that if he didn't kill her, wherever he wound up, he would end up— Yes, that's right. Raping and killing someone else, and as it turns out, he did. Yes. And not only that, while he was in prison for that one rape murder, uh, he was accused of another uh, earlier than that in Missouri, and he was going to stand trial for that, but he died in prison of vocal cord cancer. Okay. Uh, But the story still doesn't end. Uh, Even with Wayne DuBond's death, uh, it passes back over to Mike Huckabee. Because now he's running for president. Right. That's in 2008. And it comes up as an
0: issue, and this is the political ad that came out. And this is when he's running for the Republican nomination. Yes.
3: My name is Lois Davidson. My daughter won't be
9: home for Christmas this year.
11: Carol Sue Shields won't be home for Christmas because she was brutally murdered by Wayne Dumond. Dumond was in an Arkansas prison for raping a 17-year-old high school cheerleader until Governor Mike Huckabee helped him get out. Thanks to Mike Huckabee, Dumond was released from his Arkansas prison 25 years before his sentence was to end. Then, less than one year later, he raped and murdered Carol Sue Shields.
3: If not for Mike Huckabee, Wayne Dumont would have been in prison and Carol Sue would have been with
0: us this year for Christmas I mean sound familiar yeah uh Willie Horton right yes the for, Mike Dukakis. Uh,
7: yes uh, back in his campaign in 88 um and it that Dumont case weighed
0: heavily around Huckabee's neck just like the other one do we know because, if my memory serves me correct, when Dukakis, when the my, Willie Horton thing came out on Dukakis, I think it was in the general yes. election. So this is it was it, a Bush ad. Yes. So yes. this is in the Republican primary. Do we know who was behind the commercial? Well,
7: there was talk that it was uh, John gen- McCain, mm-hmm. that it was one of his opponents. But it turns out that apparently it was someone from northwest Arkansas. hmm and um, So it wasn't a candidate per se. It
0: was just no it interesting.
7: Was, yeah, it was an anti-Huckabee person okay. and whose son was uh, a radio announcer and did the voice work oh. on it. Okay. Um, but anyway, he was catching some heat from it. Huckabee was. And so here he is on CNN with Wolf Blitzer, who's pushing him pretty hard.
10: Well, what responsibility do you have in this horrible tragedy that developed?
5: Wolf, my only official action in this was I denied his commutation. It was actually given by Jim Guy Tucker when Bill Clinton was governor back in 1992. It was on my desk. I did consider it. I even thought that he had met the criteria for parole in support of it. I wished I hadn't, but I didn't parole him. And governors don't parole people in Arkansas, nor can they stop a parole. And that's the tragedy, I think, that this went through several years and many different people, and all of us failed. That's the truth. All of us failed.
0: You know, everyone knows this. He did not win the Republican nomination right. that year. It was John McCain. It was. He, he
7: lost to him. And uh, as far as the Dumond case, um, last week I talked to an old friend of mine who's now a professor at um, Winthrop. University. And he was a journalist at the time, Guy Real. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a book. He was working for the Memphis Commercial Appeal and covered the trial, covered the case. And he wrote a book called Unequal Justice that, I mean, a lot of people, he says that he wrote it as a journalist, straight facts from the case, interviews with people involved. Uh, but there were people who accused him of citing with DuMond and, you know, proclaiming his mm-hmm. innocence, which Guy Real says, is not the case? Um, but um, here's what he says about some of the criticism he got.
6: So I was blamed by some people for writing the book and seemingly, I guess, advocating for his relief. And they, some people said, and this is just stuff I heard on either social media or whatever, that that you were the one who led to the f- further rapes that he committed after he uh, was released. I said, you know, the only thing that gave Wayne Dumont notoriety or that he would have been written about at all is the, this castration. Now, if he didn't do it and somebody else did it, they're the ones who are blamed because that's the reason he got out of jail ultimately was because he had this castration and it looked like Vigilant Any Justice had been undertaken before he was ever even convicted of anything. So that's what gave him notoriety and the ability to fight his conviction. So those are the people to blame if, in fact, he didn't do it himself. Uh,
7: Someone else involved with the case was Prosecutor Fletcher Long. I also talked to him. I asked him to sort of put everything in perspective, and I asked him, was justice really done? The, The
12: fact that 12... Uh, ordinary people or a jury who have no connection to this case whatsoever listened to the evidence for three days uh, and then went out and deliberated for four hours and came back in and made a unanimous, independent uh, decision uh, based on the facts that they heard Uh, that what the victim said and described she experienced in this case was the truth and furthermore that the defendant was guilty as charged of rape and kidnapping Uh, and then went on, the jury went on to sentence him to life in prison for the rape and in 20 years uh for the kidnapping uh, let, makes her know that that those people unanimously believed what she told them and what happened to her and furthermore uh, that the defendant uh, was uh, pure evil. So if justice is uh, is vindication, then the vindication of that woman through this jury's verdict is, is justice in this case.
7: And here's the thing. It ain't over yet. Yeah, this is crazy. I know. So I'm guessing we're going to have to go into a third part. That's okay. Uh, this is about—you know, this happened in St. Francis County— Right for a city,
0: yeah. So that's you know East Arkansas. Yes,
7: it's pretty much smack dab between what Little Rock and Memphis. Maybe a little more on the Memphis yeah, side. Yeah, yeah. But in the in between those two cities. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, there was a sheriff by the name of Coolidge Conley. Right. Who, uh, I guess, for back lack of a better. Term ran the county
6: mm-hmm.
7: uh, with a with an iron fist, and it turns out that Wayne Dumont's
0: testicles. Remember, we talked about last week his that castration, he was Yes,
7: his testicles wound up in the sheriff's office, and this became public knowledge. Yes, because, because he would show them. He would in show a jar. them off, and supposedly said this is what happens to rapists mm-hmm. in my county they were in a jar of formaldehyde um so next week i guess we can talk about coolidge conley and his control over saint francis county because it's quite an involved story and uh well here's a preview from journalist guy reel
6: it was a dark time in eastern arkansas history and you know you You had to be careful going into St. Francis County. I mean, you know, you had to keep your nose clean.
0: This adjacency will continue next week when we talk about it. Yes, true crime on Ozarks at large. You know, and I—so I understand. There are victims of Wayne Dumont, so I'm not making a lie, but when you see some of the things that streaming services have out there about murders and true crime— yes. As far as I know, this has not been a multi-series, and it seems, with all the twists and turns... I don't think so. I mean, they've
7: done, which is one we're going to do later, but The Boys on the Tracks... Right. ...in Saline County. In West Memphis 3. The West Memphis 3. Yeah, those uh, sensational crime Mm -hmm. stories have been on podcasts. Yeah. True crime podcasts, but this one, I, I don't remember it coming up at
0: all. Well, we'll talk about that next week. Randy is with uh, – Randy Dixon is with the David and Barbara Prior Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. You can learn more about this and so much other kinds of Arkansas history by going to the Prior Center's website. Oh, and there's a new feature on oh, our
7: website. Please. I have to tell you about it. Very exciting. If you enjoy this segment mm-hmm. and you might want to hear some others, mm-hmm. go to the Prior Center website and under KTV – It has a section called Ozarks at Large, Ah. and it lists all 140-plus segments we've done that all you have to do is click on the title. It'll take you to the KUAF website. Nice. And there it is. You can listen to uh, all the past segments. 140-some, huh? Yeah, we've been working. (laughs) Thank you, Randy. Thank you. See you next week. Walmart
11: Amp presents a Fireworks Spectacular Tuesday, July 4th. This family-friendly experience features a blend of patriotic and contemporary music by the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas with a grand finale fireworks display. Gates open at 7 p.m., concert at 8 p.m., and fireworks begin at 9.15. Amptickets.com for information. Opera in the Ozarks presents its 72nd season, June 23rd through July 21st at Inspiration Point in Eureka Springs. Featuring 22 performances of three fully staged operas, including Elixir of Love, The Tender Land, and Orpheus in the Underworld, plus a special Broadway cabaret in Fayetteville, and more. Tickets and season schedule at opera.org.
0: This is Ozarks at Large. Late last week, Arkansas lawmakers gathered to talk about the recent Arkansas legislative session. At a summit hosted by Arkansas Advocates for Children and Families, Republican State Representative Julie Mayberry was critical of how quickly Arkansas lawmakers passed bills. She says the majority laws signed by Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders were passed in the last four days of the session.
3: We have too many bills too fast. And um, it doesn't really allow for enough time to get the proper feedback from people. We're in a rush. We have a time frame of we have to hurry up and get this done. And part of it is that we don't do enough in the interim, and we don't um, spend enough time in the interim working on those bills before they come forward.
0: State Representative Ashley Hudson says she has mixed emotions about the sessions. She says she was concerned about laws regulating transgender minors in Arkansas, but also says she was happy with the small gains she was able to make in the job. She passed legislation helping teen mothers pump breast milk during school. Hudson says lawmakers could do more to address the state's high infant mortality rate.
4: I, I think that there's also a lot of missed opportunities in this session, and, and I think that that's probably one of the things that's most discouraging to me. Um, we know in Arkansas, and everyone in this room is acutely aware in Arkansas, that we have a significant issue with infant and maternal mortality. Um, and we missed out on several opportunities to try to improve outcomes for moms and babies.
0: As an example, Representative Hudson liked a bill put forward by State Representative Erin Erin Pinkleton to expand Medicaid for the first year after birth. She supported the bill, but it was ultimately unsuccessful.
11: For a year now, the KUAF Lunch Hour has been bringing you the best in local music and local food once a month here at the KUAF studios. Now we're taking it on the road. KUAF is partnering with local McDonald's owner-operators to bring you the KUAF Lunch Hour Summer Concert Series. It begins in late July and will include three tiny desk-style concerts that will take place at different McDonald's locations across northwest Arkansas, the River Valley, and the Green Country. These three concerts will lead up to a mini-festival called Lunch All Day in September. Performances are set to include Steph Simon of Fire in Little Africa, country singer Joe West, and artist-designer Tylo May. Get ready for a summer of fun, music, and great food. The KUAF Lunch Hour Summer Concert Series, sponsored by McDonald's, begins July 28th. Keep listening to KUAF, your public radio station, for more details. Tomorrow...
0: On Ozarks at Large, if you wanted to learn to mountain bike or improve your mountain biking abilities, why not get advice from an Olympian?
4: I wish to like lead an expert uh, clinic, you know, and also I would love to lead a workshop for beginners like, hey, here's where the brakes are. Here's how you stand on the bike. Here's how you pedal. So uh, hopefully we get a a vast um, spectrum of ability.
0: Retired professional mountain biker and U.S. Olympian Leah Davison will be in Bentonville later this year. She'll be speaking at the next Sunset Summit, sponsored by the Women of Oz. We'll talk to her about mountain biking and the Summit for Women Interested in Mountain Biking in Bentonville on tomorrow's show at noon and 7 p.m. And you can keep up with everything that happens on Ozarks at Large, even if you miss a show, just by subscribing to the free Ozarks at Large daily email newsletter. You get it every Monday through Friday in your inbox. It's free, and it tells you what was on the previous day's shows, and then gives you direct links so you can listen to those stories and interviews and share them with someone else you might think is interested. You can sign up right now at KUAF.com.
10: From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansongs. Songs.
9: Been a rascal from the day I was born.
10: Oh,
9: what a good life
10: I've had. James Edward Brown was born April 1, 1934, to Floyd and Bertie Brown in Sparkman in Dallas County. Floyd was a farmer and log trucker. The family moved to Pine Bluff when the children were still small. With his two sisters, Maxine and Bonnie, Jim Ed formed the singing group The Browns, and the trio scored early with their song Looking Back to Sea in 1954 on Faber Records of California. Jim Ed Brown, called J.E. by family, was barely out of his teens. Faber Records had launched only the year before by Faber Robeson, born 1911 in Beebe. He promoted the early careers of Jim Reeves and Johnny Horton, as well as fellow Arkansas'ers Floyd Kramer and the Browns. He died in 1986. Maxine Brown describes the relationship between the Browns and White County native Robeson in her 2005 autobiography in the chapters We Get Screwed and Screwed Again. Papa
9: Top again
10: I've just got time For one more round Brown signed to RCA in 1956 improving their fortunes. Jim Ed Brown was drafted the next year but was eventually transferred to the Pine Bluff Arsenal close to family. Jim Ed and his sisters had their biggest hit the Three Bells in 1959. The Browns became members of the Grand Ole Opry in 1963 and Jim Ed dabbled in some solo work. So by the mid-1960s when the Browns split up so Bonnie and Maxine could raise families Jim Ed Brown was ready to go out on his own. The third single from Jim Ed Brown's solo album Papa Top, Heard Here, became a hit in the summer of 1967, playing off the new novelty of Pull Tab Beer Cans. It hit number three and became Jim Ed's biggest solo hit and his signature song. Alan Jackson's version of the song in 1999 also hit top ten country.
9: Gasping. For air, I come up from your lips, amazed by the beauty
10: Beginning with the subject matter and uncluttered production of Papa Top, one can make a case for Jim Ed Brown being a forgotten early practitioner of outlaw country music. Some of his other song titles include other drinking songs like Bottle Bottle, heard here, and cheating songs, especially with Brown's mid-1970s duet partner Helen Cornelius.
9: Doggone my soul, how I love them old songs. They were a comfort
10: to me when I was alone. Over his long career, Jim Ed Brown charted more than 50 singles. He hosted TV's You Can Be a Star talent show and the program Nashville on the Road. Perhaps most recognizably, Brown was national spokesman for Dollar General stores beginning in the 1970s appearing on many TV commercials and with his autographed photo adorning the walls of many of the chain stores.
9: When I hear that double e, guitar It makes me think how trouble-free girl we are There was a time I spent my nights in a bar playing that old jukebox Until the honky-tonky locked
10: up 2015, the Browns were inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame, and Jim Ed released In Style Again, his first new studio album in 30 years. It was his last. Jim Ed Brown of Sparkman and Pine Bluff died June 11, 2015 in Franklin, Tennessee, and is buried in Nashville. Here in its entirety is Jim Ed Brown of Dallas and Jefferson Counties with Papa Top from 1967.
9: Papa Top again. I've just got time for one more round Set em up, my friend Then I'll be gone And you can't let some other fool sit down I'd like for you to listen to A joke I heard today From a woman who said she was through walked away I tried to smile and in a while but it felt so out of place Did you ever hear of a cloud with teardrops streaming down his face Pop-a-pop again I've just got time A row of fools On a row of stools Is not what's on my mind But then you see Her leaving me Is not what I prefer So it's either here Drinking beer Or home remembering her Pop-a-top again got time for one more round, another one, my friend. And I'll be gone and you can let some other fool sit down.
10: Papa Top from 1967. It's another song of Arkansas. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook. With Arkansas songs. Arkansongs is underwritten by Arkansas Heritage. Relive your favorite Barton Coliseum concert memories at the Old Statehouse Museum in downtown Little Rock, where they still play it loud.
0: This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Springdale, and Moffett, Oklahoma. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors today included Daniel Carruth, Josie Lenora, Randy Dixon, and Stephen Cook. Our theme is written and performed by Daryl Shaw. Today's show produced inside the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. It's almost the end of KUAF's fiscal year. We are trying to make sure we end that fiscal year on June 30th as strong and independent as we can be. And as we have been for the past several decades, we do that with your help. Contributors, listeners like you supply the biggest part of KUAF's budget. Make it possible for us to bring you Ozarks at Large, Fresh Air, Morning Edition, and all things considered. You can make a contribution, whether it be a one-time contribution, a renewal contribution, or you can become a sustaining member and give a bit each month so it adds up to a nice amount by the end of the next fiscal year. You can do all of that at support.com. KUAF.com. Pick the amount. It's pretty easy to use and it takes maybe a couple of minutes. Support KUAF.com. Our theme is titled The First to Raw. It is written and performed by Daryl Sean. We are back with you tomorrow at noon and seven for another brand new edition of Ozarks at Large. From the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Kyle Kellums. Thanks for being with us.